listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. All right, like I said, John chapter 11, we're going to be looking today at Palm Sunday. We're going to be focusing right there on the beginning, kind of the middle of chapter 12. But before we do, I want us to look at chapter 11 and kind of lead up into this. And so between um, today, Friday night, and next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at this final week of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. So here's what I want to start with this morning, and this question's on the screen, and you can answer this out loud uh, as, uh, as, these, as the answer comes to mind, but what comes to mind when you think of glory? Anybody, what comes to mind, maybe how, even how would you define glory? What do you think of when you think of the word glory? What is glory? Anybody? Giving honor? Yeah. Victory? What else? Value? Yeah, what else? Weightiness. Anybody else? What do you think of when you think of glory? No wrong answers. I'm just kidding. What are you saying? Perfection? Cool. Anybody else? Exalted. Yeah. Heaven, yeah. When we think of glory, that's what often comes to mind. Here's how I would like to define glory uh, in a few different ways that we can define it, or a few different types of definitions. And none of these are necessarily wrong, but it helps us to understand this word glory. One is the way someone or something truly is. Or another definition may be ultimate reality. Somebody said this one, and there in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, if we, under, if we looked at the um, etymology of the word, we would see that weighty, whatever is weighty, whatever the biggest thing is, and we know that uh, just from science, the things that have the most mass, they create a gravitational pull to them, right? And so that weight is drawn to them. But then lastly, and we kick this around to some degree, exalted, uh, worshiped majesty, but to make much of to make much of. That's when we think of glory. That's what we're talking about. All these things we just mentioned, heaven, glory. So here's the question I want you to answer. Don't answer this one out loud. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? So think about what is your glory? What's your glory? So if we take this definition of glory, the way someone or something truly is, what is ultimate reality? What is most weighty in your life? What do you make the most of or make much of, what's your glory? What would you say? And maybe, again, don't, you don't have to answer this, but maybe for you it's a certain amount of a success or a certain amount of money that you may have or the neighborhood that you live in or your job, your profession, your education, your knowledge, your training, your status, your last name, your accomplishments, what is your glory? So here's the question, the next question I want us to actually answer out loud. What does glory give you? 
So when we think about, here's what my glory is. Here's really when I think about my ultimate reality. Here's how I would love to define myself as I truly am. What does that glory give you? Anybody? Comfort. Yeah. Pride. Worth. Peace. Joy. Satisfaction. Yeah. Purpose. Somebody over here says something. Motivation. Anything else? What does that glory give you? Because if we looked at that, we're all pursuing something. We're all either making much of something or someone else, or we're making much of ourselves in pursuit of all of these things that glory provide. So as we, we start thinking about glory, we should start with the Westminster Confession. Here's how it defines uh, the, the number one, the very first catechism there is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God, to make much of him, to give him all the glory that he deserves. But it's like, wait, hold on a second. So if God is glorious and we're giving him glory, how, how do we... Or does God need more glory? Are we taking some glory and adding it to him? So we have to understand, define a little more specifically, two different types of glory. One of those is intrinsic glory. Everybody say intrinsic. Intrinsic glory is this. It's the sum of all that God is. So we cannot add or take away from that. That's his character, his essence, his being, his nature. It's who God is. It's intrinsic glory. It's ultimate reality. It's something or someone as it should be. That's him, glory, beginning and end. That's him. Secondly, though, there is ascribed glory, which is praise and worship that we give to God as we behold his intrinsic glory. So he's got all the glory, but then there's the, the verb form of that. We can glorify him and we're saying, man, look at the intrinsic glory of God seated above all things who created with his word. He spoke things into existence. Man, what a great God. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about, uh, let your good works be before men that they may what your father in heaven glorify your father in heaven. So ascribe glory is not just gathering to sing songs like we are this morning. That's part of it. But even in Romans, we see that, and Hebrews, we see that ascribe glory is a lifestyle of living sacrifice. So it's everything that we do should be to glorify God, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So here's my next, the last question I want us to answer together is this. How do we share in Jesus' glory? How do we share in Jesus' glory? Anybody? Sacrifice. Singing worship songs. What kind of worship songs? The ones we, only the ones we did today. That's right. Good answer, Hannah. <laughs> I was trying to set you up. You weren't going to fall for it. She's way smarter than I am. Anybody else? How do we share in Jesus' glory? Resting in him? Resurrection? Pray? Loving? Yeah. Fellowship? Ministering? Identity? Finding your identity in him? Yeah. Sharing in his suffering? 
I, I think what's even interesting in that, and all those things I, I would say are right, right and true. Those are great job. Y'all get, y'all get a gold star. Be glorified, okay? So good job. Even in that, when I asked the first question, which is, um, the first question was, what comes to mind when you think of glory? Nobody said a bloody man upon a cross, right? Nobody said suffering, dying. But when we say, how do we share in Jesus' glory? At least one of the things that comes to mind, we said this, suffering and sacrifice. It's like, man, so what actually is glory? Maybe our definition of glory or our understanding may be a little bit off. Now, let me, let me say this as a quick aside, is that both of these things can be true. Resurrected Lord and Jesus Christ on the, on the cross, glorious. There is glory because his intrinsic glory includes both perfection and holiness and being unstained from sin. And it includes his humility and love and grace to crawl up on a cross and to be murdered by folks who he came to die for. So both of those things, but often we just look at one facet of glory and say, man, Jesus, his glory is over here, beautiful, majesty, exalted, high and lifted up. What we're going to see today as we walk forward in this holy week is that the glory of Jesus also encompasses his suffering. So the cross is not, uh, it's not like an aversion, like, hey, here's Jesus glorified and oh man, we got to deal with the cross so that we can get back to his glory. It's not a detour on route to Jesus' glory. No, the cross is part of Jesus' glory. There is glory in the cross. And there's something that draws us into who he is. So I want to see that this morning. So John chapter 11. We're going to set up chapter 12 as we see that the cross is Christ's glory. Uh, Look at chapter 11 with me. We see here, if you see the pericope right there on the top of the chapter, this is the death of Lazarus. And so I'm not going to dig deep into the details here. What I want us to see is the overall theme of Jesus last week here on earth before his crucifixion. So we're going to see that as we kind of, as we kind of skip through these couple of chapters. So chapter 11, he begins in verse number, I'll begin in verse number four. And this is uh, Lazarus. He's very sick in verse number four. But when Jesus heard uh, it, uh, when he, Jesus heard it, talking about Lazarus being sick, he said this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the son of man, so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And we're going to see this phrase all throughout the rest of the book of John. We're going to see it there, but this is the first time it's used in the book. So that the son of man may be glorified through it. So they come to him and Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he's really sick. Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's not a, it's not a illness that leads to death. And they're like, uh, but I think it might be. Look at verse number five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, it doesn't make sense that he would allow Lazarus to die. The reason they were imploring Jesus to come and see Lazarus was so that, they, so that he could heal them. They knew that he had the power to heal. Lazarus is sick. Please come and heal him. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to heal him so that the son of man may be glorified. We would think, wouldn't the son of man be glorified if he went and healed a sick guy on his deathbed? Yes. And maybe we don't completely understand the glory of God the way that Jesus does because he lets Lazarus die. Let's turn down to verse number 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. What? 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 
why didn't, why didn't you heal him? You could have easily gone over there and healed Lazarus. So why doesn't he? For their sake. For our sake. Verse 15. Sorry. Uh, yeah, verse 15. For your sake, I was not there. So that you may believe. The reason he does not heal Lazarus was so that when we see the glory of God displayed in him raising Lazarus from the dead, we may say, oh man, he can heal sick people. And man, look at the glory of the son of God. He not only can heal sick people, but he can bring dead bones back to life. Verse 16. So Thomas, who's called the twin, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when you first read, I was reading this this week, I said, oh, wow, what, what an incredible, courageous soul Thomas was. He's right there with Jesus all the way until the end. Let's go die with Jesus. You know, ride or die, Jesus, we got your back, right? But we see Thomas a little bit later on. What's, what's Thomas's name, our nickname that we've given to Thomas? What's his name? Doubting Thomas. Do you think Thomas went from courageous Thomas to doubting Thomas overnight? No. Thomas here, his tone is sarcastic. Read it again. Look there with me again. So we have Lazarus, who Jesus could have healed. The disciples and Mary and Martha, they don't understand. Why did you not heal Lazarus, Jesus? What's wrong with you? He says, so that I may be glorified. Yeah, but you could be glorified in this way. He says, you don't understand. Glory comes through death. Yeah, but, but wouldn't it even be, you know, more so be coming through life? You don't understand why I came. I came so that you may believe. I came to die. My mission is death so that you may believe. The mission of God, he's saying here, my mission is not to reign eternal and exalted without death. He says, the mission of me being glorified for all time must go through the cross. It has to be so that you can join with me. My humility, my love, my suffering is so that I can be glorified, so that you can experience glory with me. So we have all that. I don't understand. So Thomas, let's read it again. So Thomas called the twin and said to his fellow disciples, let us go. You know, Jesus, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. We just established that in all of chapter 11. Let us go so that we may die with him. Some great leader this is. So let's keep going. We're going to jump down. Uh, verse number 40. So Lazarus dies. Uh, Lazarus goes on and uh, Jesus raises him back from the dead. We don't have time. We're not going to look at that today. We're going to look at it actually in a few weeks when we talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. But verse number 40, look there with me if you would. He says this. So Jesus raises him back. He takes a stone. Jesus said to her, talking to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So a couple of things all throughout the rest of the book, so that you may believe in the son of man, the son of God being glorified. He says, if you believe in me, then you will see my glory. You'll be glorified with me also. Notice the response here, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. That's the purpose, so that you may believe. They believed in him. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees, who are these religious, better than everybody else, leaders of the Jews, 
and told them what Jesus had done. And you would think religious people would say, this is amazing. We had this guy who claims to be the Messiah. He's not just healing folks, but he's raising people from the dead. This is great news. Nah. Notice what they say. Verse 47. So the chief priests, the most religious of the religious, and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let, notice the irony of this. This is crazy. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. What in the world? I'm not going to tell you what I wrote in my notes, but I'm just like, it essentially says, what in the world? Okay. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Can I tell you something real quick? Belief in Christ is bad for the kingdoms of this world. Placing your hope in a future kingdom, one where Christ is going to be glorified according to the way that he defines glory is bad for our kingdoms in defining glory the way that we define it. Even for the most religious people. They say here, he's going to take away our place. In other words, he's going to take away our power, our possessions, our glory, our respect, our success, our comfort. It says he's going to take away our place and our nation. He's going to take away our political power, our politics, our hard work. He's going to take away our finances He's going to take away the kingdom that we've set up for our glory. Here's the first thing I want you to see. We're going to see seven, seven things, seven points from this passage today. The first one is this. Jesus is a threat to your way of life. I could dig into that phrase for probably a few hours. But two things, two words I want you to think about is your and life. How would you define life? And that definition of life probably came from your. Jesus is a threat to that. Verse number 53, let's keep going down. Notice what they do. So from that day on, the religious people, the good guys, okay? These are the good, these aren't even the bad guys. These are the good guys. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Who is him? Jesus the Christ. Whenever God gets in our way, you know what we want to do? Kill God. Verse 54, we see now, as soon as they started to try to kill him, we're going to see that Jesus goes into hiding and there's literally a bounty put out on Jesus. His face would be at the post office, which we don't go to anymore. Okay, so kids, uh, a post office is when you would take, I'm just kidding. So his picture was there at the post office. He was on FBI, you know, top 10 most wanted there in Jerusalem. So like, I don't know, JBI, I'm not sure. So, but notice in verse number 54, he says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews because they were trying to kill him. And he went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. Everybody say Ephraim. Nice work. And there he stayed with the disciples. Verse 56, same idea. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all. Verse 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might go and worship him because they were religious people. No, so that they might arrest him. They were out to get him. Then we get to chapter 12. 
Okay, everybody good? Take a breath. Whew, made it through the first chapter. We've only got six more to go. I'm just kidding. So chapter 12, it begins here six days after the Passover. So this would be Saturday evening. So we get here at the beginning of chapter 12. This is Saturday evening leading into Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today. So it says six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who's alive back from the dead, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We see that in verse number one. I want to skip down to verse number nine. All through right here, and again, we'll look at this later. This is uh, Mary anointing his feet with oil and that kind of thing. But verse number nine, notice, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, there in Bethany, not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So they said, man, we want to go see Jesus, this miracle worker. And we want to go see Lazarus, this miracle receiver. Let's go see this guy who was dead, not for three days, but for four days. Let's go see him. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Again, the good guys are wanting to kill Jesus and his works. He says, let's go put him to death because on account of him, many of the Jews are going away and believing in Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. If your kingdom is of this world, believing in Jesus is bad. Even if your world looks really good, even if you've got really good Bible verses, even if you know really good stuff, even if your intentions seem to be really good, if it's your kingdom, it's not God's kingdom. The two cannot coexist. They can't coincide. Then verse number 12, the next day, and so this would be Sunday morning. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, the feast here is the feast. Uh, anybody know what the feast is that's celebrating this week? Is the feast of Passover. That's right. And so they would celebrate that on the coming Saturday. They would get ready for it on Friday, celebrate it going into Saturday. Uh, so he says here, the next day, so this is Sunday morning, the large, the large crowd gathered uh, to, to be part of this feast. Now, there were three primary feasts in Jewish on the Jewish calendar. One was the feast of Passover. One uh, was the feast of the tabernacles. And one was the feast of Pentecost. And all of them were required to go to the temple there in Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. For Passover, there were what was estimated and what historians say, a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered. 250,000 lambs were slaughtered during those few days of Passover. So we think, oh man, this is a feast. This is a lot of fun. Can I tell you that much blood going through the city? There's going to be a river of blood. But here's what the people would do is they would select the lamb that they were gonna slaughter. They would select that lamb on Sunday. Then that lamb would be with the family for a few days. Then they would slaughter that lamb. When we see right here, what does it say? What the next day is? It's Sunday. And right here we see the people of God, the Jews, selecting their lamb that they are going to slaughter in a matter of days. So they heard about this feast. Verse number 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, other accounts of this, I think especially Mark, they, they go into a little more detail about 
uh, what this looked like and what was significant about this. But when they waved palm branches, this was to signify, this was their symbol of freedom for the Jews. Now they had made uh, a trek to get there to Jerusalem. And so they probably had not packed their palm branches getting ready for this, but they found some palm trees around. And this would be similar to having uh, a bumper sticker of who you're going to vote for. And so this is in a way is them voting. Hey, we really respect and love Jesus. He's our King. Look at all the good things he's done. Look at how good his glory is. We love him. Welcome to the city, King Jesus. Because when a king would come in, they would either throw their robes down or they would throw palm branches down to say, we love you. We respect you. We're voting for you. You're our guy. We like you, King Jesus. So that's what they were doing. But notice here, they're singing and saying, Hosanna, which literally means save us now. Save us now. And we know that this points back to the Old Testament, to Psalm chapter 118. That's where they get this Hosanna. And so we think, wow, they know their Bibles. This is great. They're saying, Jesus, save us. This is, on the surface, this looks really good, really religious, really positive. Here's the difficulty with that, is that Psalm 118 was not recited during the Passover. It was recited during a different feast. Anybody know which feast it was recited during? You got two different options and one's not Pentecost. So yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles, he's in my life group. So it was recited uh, during the, the, and it was celebrated during the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were celebrating. If you go back and look at Psalm chapter 118, they're looking for a king that's going to save them from an oppressive power. So here's the picture, okay? Jesus is coming in, riding a donkey. They're throwing down palm branches, singing Hosanna from Psalm 118. Save us! It all looks really good. But in the minds of the people, here's what they were saying. Jesus is coming in to save us from the oppression of the Romans. That's what we need salvation from most. And Jesus, you have the power to do it. And as long as you save us from the oppression of the Romans, we will be with you. Here's the problem with that, friends. Jesus did not ride into town on a donkey to save them from the uh, oppression or the power of the Romans. He came in to save them from a far worse enemy. And that's the oppression of the evil one, the oppression of sin, the oppression of Satan, of the devil, of death, of the grave. That's who Jesus was riding in to save them from. Notice he's riding in on a colt. He's riding in on a donkey, which means this is a time of peace. When a king came riding in on a donkey, it meant I've got nowhere to be really that fast. I'm going to ride slowly. I'm going to saunter in through the city because it's peacetime. If a king came riding in on a horse, that's when he knew it was wartime because we got to move. We got to go into battle. We got to fight. Can I just say this as an aside? Jesus came in the first time as a suffering servant to offer us peace. Jesus is coming back again at the end of time, riding a horse, and he's going to be making war with all of his enemies. And if you have not found peace with God at that moment, you are his enemy and you will be at war with him. He's coming in with a sword coming out of his mouth to, to vanquish those who are opposed to him. Here he's riding in saying, peace, come find your peace in me, offering that, not making war with us, but offering us peace. Look at verses 14 and 15. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And this comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It's a t- he's saying, welcome. I'm here for peace. I'm here so that you may believe, not so that you may be conquered. I'm here so that you may believe in me. That's my mission. Verse number 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. Notice how the Pharisees respond. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees are saying this to each other. So one Pharisee says to another Pharisee, look, we're not gaining anything. Jesus is not helping us build our kingdom here and now on this earth. He's not coming to make war with the Romans. What good is Jesus? What good is he? He's not helping my glory in the least. Those are the options, friends. Either his glory or ours. What does he call us to do? Not make much of ourselves, but to die to self. Because we're creating, we're, we're creating one of two masses, one of two gravitational pulls, either Christ's and we want to center our lives on him or mine and we want others to glorify me. It's all for me. But if I die to myself, my glory, my ascribed glory goes to Christ and to him alone. We see here he's, what they don't understand is that Christ is going to be glorified. He's going to be glorious because he opens up the gates of heaven, both to the Jews and to the Greeks. Look at verse number 20. He says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. We have here the Greeks. The world is open. There is an invitation for all of humanity. Here's the second thing that I want us to see this morning. Is that the glory of the cross is that through his death, Jesus will bring life to many. Both to Jews and to Greeks. Look at verse number 23. We see this. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. The example here is of a seed. And we know this, if you put a seed in the ground, that seed has to die so that life can burst forth. And in the same way, he's saying, the son of man is going to be glorified through his death that he may too burst forth from the grave. And today, friend, we see a great harvest, even impacting and that we get to be a part of. That's the church. Romans chapter six and verse number four says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into what? Death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of what? Of life. 
Jesus died first as our example and so that he invites us not into life first here in this world, in this kingdom. He invites us into death now so that we can experience life in him. He says, I've got a better glory than you could ever experience in and of yourself. We'll keep going. Verse number 27. Notice what he says here. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it's for this purpose that I have come to this hour. What's the mission of God? Look around. You're the mission of God. We are, he came to die for us. Here's the third thing that I want us to see is that Jesus would rather opt out of the cross. You're like, yeah, but that makes him seem really human. I thought he was 100%. Yeah, he is. He does not want to go to the cross. If he had his, his druthers, I'd, I'd rather not go to the cross. Is there any other way? Father, please, if there's any other way, the gospel of Luke, right? He would rather opt out of the cross, but he considers you worth it. He considers you worth it. He says, that's why I came, is to glorify God. And in, in my death, in my glory, I'm coming to die to save many people. Verse number 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And we see all throughout until, really until it, it culminates in John chapter 17. But we have the Trinity saying, the Father says to Jesus, Jesus, I want to glorify you. Jesus says to the Father, but Father, I want to glorify you. And the Spirit jumps in. Jesus is like, I want to send you the Spirit. And the Spirit's not going to be like, oh, yeah, I can glory. No, he says, look at Jesus. Look how glorious he is. Look at the Father. Look how glorious he is. And the Father looks at the Spirit and says, look how glorious the Spirit is. And Jesus looks at the Spirit and says, yeah, send it. Look how glorious the Father is. Look how glorious the Spirit. Yo, yo, with me? You got it? So there's this never ending. Nobody's like, hey, man, look at my glory. I got my glory. No, no, that's Satan, okay? Bad guy, real bad guy. So we have the Trinity. He says, man, this is relational beauty. Glory is one of sacrifice. And here he says, I'm coming to die so that I can invite you into this relational beauty. I want to invite you into this, this relationship that's full of love and sacrifice. Man, what a... What a what an amazing invitation that we have here. St. John of the Cross, he said this. He died several years ago. He said, one who does not seek the cross of Jesus is not seeking the glory of Jesus. Our glory in being with Christ must even for us come through the cross. So then we get down to verse number 29. The crowd that stood there they heard this voice come from heaven as it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But verse number 30, notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Jesus understood the assignment. He knew from before time even started what was going to be required from him. But he says, I am coming for your sake. You heard the voice of the Father. This is for your sake that you may what? That you may believe. So you've heard it from the Father that my death is for your glory, for your suffering to join me. Verse number 32, look here with me. 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, if we look here at verse 32, it says, when I'm lifted up, that's literally, that's royal language. It means to be lifted up, to be exalted high. But notice in verse number 33, what that exaltation actually means. Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. When we look at 32 and 33, what Jesus is saying, I am going to be exalted in my death. In other words, I am so weighty. The weight of my glory, of my love, of my forgiveness, it draws you in. That is glory. This is ultimate reality. And he invites them in. And this is not, when we, when we think here about verses 32 and 33, I'm lifted up. This is the kind of death I'm going to die. This is not some sort of gruesome pun that's being made here. But John is making this point. I think this is number four. Is that the death of Jesus is the glory of Jesus. The death of Jesus is the glory of Jesus. The cross equals glory. Because through the cross, Jesus saves many unto himself. The means by which we attain salvation. We say, man, glory. The means by which salvation comes is only through the cross. In other words, if you want proof that the cross equals glory, we can look around because we are the evidence. Those who are in Christ are the evidence of Jesus' glory because he invites us in through his sacrifice. The fifth thing I want us to see here is that death is how Jesus draws people. Death is how Jesus draws people. The cross equals salvation. And you may say, man, the cross, isn't it, it doesn't really look glorious. It's bloody. It's brutal. There's betrayal. There's a crown of thorns. His beard is pulled out. There's suffocation. There's defecation. There's shame. There's misery. There's agony. There's guilt. He's rejected by the Father. Man, that does not look like glory to me. Here's the sixth thing that I want us to see. We want to sanitize our sin, but the cross won't let us. You see, friend, we want glory without all the dirtiness, nastiness, the stain of blood. We want glory without recognizing the weight of our sin, the tragedy of our sin. So when we look at Jesus Christ on the cross, we're like, how is that glorious? It's glorious because we're reminded of our sinfulness, of our neediness, and it requires humility. And it requires, and Jesus says this later in the book of John, that it requires the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the people so that they can see Jesus on the cross as being glorious. When we see Christ on the cross, we see the tragedy of our sin. I was dealing with an issue last night in my house and uh, somebody who lives there with me, um, they failed to understand and recognize uh, that the words they were using were hurtful to other people. And they kept trying to blame shift and make excuses. And well, this person said this and you don't understand who I am so great. So I told Shannon, I said, listen, babe. And I'm just kidding. It was my oldest who's in fourth and fifth grade so I can talk about him. But I said, 
I said, you don't understand the weight and the bloodiness of your sin without looking at the cross. We must look at the cross. When you look at the cross and you see Jesus there, you see his glory, but you see why he went there. He's only glorious on the cross in your mind's eye if you understand that you deserve that. We want to sanitize our sin. Look at verse number 42. He says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. Man, that's great. Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Lastly, friend, if you reject the cross, you will be rejected by God. You are living for at least one of two glories. There's the glory of Jesus and there's the glory of something or someone else. We could go off on a tangent about the fear of man, about you're living for the approval and the glory of other people. You're living for your own glory, your own self-esteem. So you do the things that people will look at you and you'll be uh, exalted in their eyes. If you're living for a glory other than an eternal glory for Jesus Christ, no matter how good it is, even at the synagogue of the most religious people who knew the most stuff, who had all the money, then you are going to be rejected by him. You see, the cross is God's glorifying mission that you may believe. He says, I know that you cannot get to me. And even if you could, you wouldn't want to. So my mission is to come to you because I love you. And I'm going to draw you in. I want you to see what ultimate reality is. I want you to see what love is. I want you to see what grace is. I want you to see what weight is, what is so much weightier, what is so much better, what true life is. See me on the cross. See my suffering, my sacrifice. Now go die to everything else because I am worth it. I am worth it. Jesus doesn't just offer us his glory. He offers us himself because he lived perfectly up to this point. And he died a death under the wrath of God, receiving the punishment that we deserved. He says, I'm not just going to take my glory and just hand it to you. He says, I'm going to give you myself. We're going to swap places. I'm going to take your sinfulness. You're going to take my righteousness. That's how glorious, that's how weighty, that's the essence, the reality of who I am. Philippians 2, it says this, this will be up on the screen. Verse number five, it begins, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Part of the essence of Jesus Christ is his humility. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He takes a life raft, a life raft. 
and he throws it to a drowning man. Friend, that's us. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to swim up to the top, to save ourselves. Nothing. He throws a life raft to us. He humbled himself. And as a drowning man or woman, it takes humility to say, I can't save myself. I must receive what you are offering me. And the invitation from Jesus Christ in his humility, his offer is this. You can partake of my glory with me, but you must leave yours behind. And you get life. Maybe not a better life here on earth. Maybe not everything that you would hope for or dream for. Maybe not the American dream. Maybe not perfect kids. Maybe not a more beautiful or loving spouse. Maybe not a, a, a truck that works. Maybe, maybe not uh, less temptation to sin, but you get Jesus. And that's more glorious, more weighty, more wonderful than anything else this world has to offer. And that's the invitation for us this morning. I'm reminded of the uh, Augustus Top Lady hymn, Rock of Ages. The second verse begins by talking about coming to the cross, nothing in my hand I bring. I've got nothing to bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's all we have for life and godliness. I want us to notice, I want us to, uh, to finish with this. Look at verse uh, chapter 13. If you look at verse number three, we see here really uh, the expression that we have in Philippians 2, uh, the humility of Christ. We have it in physical, tangible form right here in chapter 13. And we have here Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then participating in what's known as the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate this as a church every week. We call this communion. And I want us to focus our attention just for a second on the humility of Christ. Verse number three of chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice we have, when we think glory, we think God up in heaven. And that's true. God is glorious up in heaven. All glory is given to him, intrinsic glory. And we have the one who spoke everything into existence. The one who breathed into some dirt in the ground and life came from that the one who holds all things together, the one who had taken the Jews and who led them through the wilderness, who had redeemed them from the hands of the Egyptians, who had given them kings, who brought them out of exile, who gave them Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who had lived perfectly, who had not abandoned any part of the law, no sin whatsoever. And he is here with all of his glory, washing the dirty feet of these men and women around this table. Man, what humility we see in our Savior. If that doesn't bring our hearts to worship and to glorify him, friend, nothing else will. Nothing else will. The cross draws us in to worship him and to glorify him. Verse number 11, notice though, we have Judas here. For he knew who was to betray him. That was, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. I would plead with you this morning, don't be like Judas, 
who is holding on to something over here, who doesn't want to let go of this, what you think has a lot of glory or weight or intrinsic value in and of itself, don't hold on to that. And at the same time, reject Jesus Christ's invitation. At the same time, betray a better, truer, everlasting, eternal kingdom. Judas thought that those 30 pieces of silver were more valuable. He thought that his kingdom, his recognition here on this earth was more valuable. What is your glory? What do you think is most valuable in this life? What is a secret? What is a secret sin? What is some sort of grief? What is a possession or a pleasure or a person or a longing or a goal or a negative desire that you need to give over to God even this morning? Because he offers you peace. Jesus Christ has come in peace and he offers that to you this morning, but it requires humility on your part. It requires you to admit that you are a sinner. The reason that Jesus Christ went to the cross was because you are so bad of a sinner. It requires you to place your faith and your hope in Christ and in Christ alone, not what he can do, not what he promises to give you, but what he has done. And in him, in his intrinsic glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. It says the cup of blessing that we bless. And this, I wanna uh, talk specifically about this bread that's here in this bowl and this juice that's here. Notice 1 Corinthians 16, or 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, it, it, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Christ, the invitation this morning is one to die to self. The invitation this morning is one to glory. If you want to experience, if you want to see, if you want to worship the glory of Jesus, it requires you to die to yourself. So as we participate in this meal together as his family, his body was broken and we participate by being broke. Man, we are broken people. We say we are participating in his blood. We dip that bread in the juice and say, we need your righteousness to cover us. I cannot provide for, prove myself. Everything else is lacking compared to you. If that is your heart's posture this morning, that you desire Jesus more than anything else, I would invite you this morning to come and join with me as a reminder of who Jesus is, the fact that we get to rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that we have the opportunity to glorify him today and for all time. So friends, let's repent and let's rejoice as we think about a sacrifice together.